With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Slightly weird lighting for those watching on video. And also slightly weird to be wearing a t-shirt with a massive slogan on it that the microphone sits right in front of. It says Santa Monica um, for those interested. But if you look at it wrong, it says Sata or Seta. Maybe Satan. Very strange. Anyway, um, it's the end of day uh, three at Run and Garros. In fact, it's almost in, it is into day four uh, because it is now well past midnight, well, 25 past midnight. I'm doing this actually with the City Pass match still going on. Um, I've just not had the stamina to keep going with it. Been a long first few days. Pretty crazy that it technically into day four, as Matt Roberts um, of the Tennis Podcast pointed out uh, on Twitter, technically into day four. And the first round still isn't done uh, with Tsitsipas and Mazzetti, as well as Simon and Carreño Busta still going. Uh, pretty remarkable, really. Um, <laughs> a classic Parisian day, I think some people call this. Uh, I started sleeping in late. I don't know if that's classically Parisian. But I did then wait at a tram stop for a tram that never came. Went to a bus stop for a bus that never came. Turns out they were both on strike. But that hadn't really been communicated to many people. So, slightly frustrating start to the day. Um, I did manage to get there in time for Joe Wilfred Songer's final match in professional tennis. Uh, singles tennis. He may yet play doubles, depending on his injury. He was up against Casper Ruud. And, you know, it was a really... It was perhaps the best atmosphere I've ever experienced on a tennis court. Um maybe only rivaled by when Murray beat Oscar Otter under the roof at Wimbledon uh, last year. But other than that, it was really spectacular. There was a band in, they were playing songs at every changeover, sometimes between points. And what was really nice is not only were they playing songs you know, in those gaps, but they knew when to stop so they didn't interrupt or delay play. Um, I think I'll remember the last point of the match for a long, long time. There was a big presentation afterwards and lots of messages and greetings and lots of family on court, which is lovely. But Joe Wilfred Songer, I mean, he made such a match of it. He won the first set, Rude won the next two, um, and then he broke at 5-all for 6-5. Uh, 
And the first serve he hit of that service game, his shoulder went. And it was immediately obvious because the second serve came over about 70 miles an hour. And then, I mean, he just couldn't hit the ball. He, he hit a couple of serves incredibly slowly. He hit an underarm serve at one point just to try and win a point. But Rude broke back. And uh, they went to a tie break, which he lost 7-love, which was a shame. Um, but as he walked to the service line at 6-love, I mean, the whole stadium was on his feet. And he got to the service line and went in down to, to get into his service motion. And the noise just didn't stop. And he started crying and he was wiping tears away from his eyes. And it just, it was such a moment for realising how much this game means to a man like that. And he, you know, the whole match he had really, you know, noticeably been enjoying it. Looking up to the crowd and just really absorbing what was going on. Knowing that he wouldn't get the chance again. Someone turned to me in the press box and said, can you imagine what it's like playing in front of this? And I said, no, I absolutely can't. And I really can't imagine what it's like to have that feeling and know that you will never have that feeling again. Joe Wifertonga might come back and play exhibitions and have some fun, but he will never have the feelings that he's had from his tennis career again. And that, that must be very strange. Um, so it was lovely to be there. For that, there was a rumour that Roger Federer was going to turn up. He didn't. Uh, it was quite well substantiated in the French media, I think. Uh, I think because he he gave a video message in part of the post-match ceremony. Not a live one. And I imagine that someone somewhere has seen that and gone, oh, got Federer, and then that's been Chinese whispered, or beg your pardon, that's been kind of passed on through and... and convoluted a bit and diluted and then all of a sudden Federer is going to be here uh yeah very strange uh, and then I saw the Netflix crew running around after Paolo Bedosa so looks like you, if Paolo Bedosa wins the French Open that'll be a cracking episode of tennis's upcoming Netflix documentary anyway um not much behind the scenes stuff today just want to talk about Wilfred Tsonga really um if you're listening on the podcast I'll have Calvin with me shortly uh, if you're watching on Instagram start listening to the podcast <laughs> Well, I'm joined for today's podlet uh, by Calvin Beton, our resident tennis coach, to look through what's been, well, I wouldn't say a dramatic day at Roland Garros per se, although there have been a, a few pretty epic five-setters, one of which has literally just finished uh, as we are recording. Lorenzo Musetti took a two-set lead against Stefan Tsitsipas, the number four seed and a, a favourite to reach the final out of the wide-open bottom half. But he could not see it out for the second Roland Garros in a row. Musetti gave up a two-set lead and was beaten in five. Last time it was Novak Djokovic. This time it was Tsitsipas, who won 5-7-4-6-6-2-6-3-6-2. Calvin, your immediate reaction to that performance, well, from both men, I suppose, but but mostly Stefano Tsitsipas. Yeah, look, I think the main difference was, and you've got to give credit to Tsitsipas, he's very resilient as a person and as a player. He's tough to put away. He doesn't. He, I don't think I've ever seen him tank a match. He's sort of quite. Um, he's quite placid, isn't he? He doesn't really lose his temper a great deal, and when he does, it tends to be sharp and short. He'll he'll decimate a racket, and then he's good to go again. Mm. You know, he'll do things to stop the match running away from him. He'll take, as we know, he'll take toilet breaks. 
Um, and Massetti's the opposite. He doesn't strike me as a very resilient character at all. Well, I mean, the one the thing where he got beaten by Djokovic last year was technically it was a retirement, um, and he had the two-set lead, and I think he retired having potentially been bageled in the fourth set and retired, you know, four-one down in the fifth. Which, I mean, we we will talk about Joe Wilfred Tsonga shortly, but there, there was a man who very much could have retired and instead chose to lose ten straight points rather than walk off the court and end the match early. Um, I mean, Mazzetti, he's someone you've talked about before, Calvin. Who's, he's clearly got a lot of talent. And, you know, he, he has beaten Tsitsipas and Djokovic in in best of three matches, effectively, here. You know, he's gone two sets up on these guys. He, I'm not saying, and you always say, Calvin, a lot of the games went to juice. You know, it doesn't mean anything. Get, going two sets up in a best of five match is the same thing. At the end, you lost it. But there must be something there for him to be getting in these positions. Yeah, look, he's very, very talented. He can play tennis, but he's one of those that when you get past the ball striking, what what is left? Mm. What have you got left there? And I've not I've not known him since he was a mass since he was a really young junior, but I knew him in juniors and he's always kind of been the same. He's mm. what I, I I see this a lot in sport. I call them good time Charlies. They're hell of great players when everything's going their way. They can seriously play, and, and I think Mussetti's like that. But when I don't see, again, something that I always say, I feel like I'm quoting myself a lot here, which I hate when people do. But um, <laughs> uh, when I always say that you judge a player by their middle and their bottom levels, and I, I don't think Mussetti's middle and bottom level is that great at all. His top level, phenomenal, hmm. hell of a player. His middle level, can he win matches against the best players in the world when he's playing six out of 10? I, I don't fancy him. It's that classic thing, isn't it? Like, you know, oh, it's a sign of a champion who wins when they're not playing well. And that, it's exactly the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't look. If, if if your plan on any day is to come out and play well, you're always in trouble. The, the plan <laughs> should always be, what what am I going to do? It's the what if question. Mm. Like, what what if? You, you have your plan. When I've talked with players before matches, it's a question that I always ask them. We always discuss, right, what's the game plan here? What's the tactic? What are you going to focus on? And then my next question is, right, what happens if that doesn't turn out well? Hmm. And that they, they need to know. And it's almost like Massetti, he doesn't he doesn't have any plan once. His plan is to hit clean winners. Hmm. And if that doesn't happen, I don't know what he's got in the tank. Need to find a way to grind. Uh, Tsitsipas through to the second round, nevertheless, albeit with a little more energy expended than he would like. He'll be back in action on Thursday, where he will play... Zdenek Kolar, uh, who is a 25-year-old who's into the second round of a Grand Slam for the very first time. I actually think I'm right in saying that he's playing main draw Grand Slam for the very first time. I mean, he, he has mostly made his living on the Futures and then most recently last year on the Challenger circuit. I mean, I don't know if he's someone you necessarily will have come across, Calvin. No, I don't know him at all, to be oh, honest. There you go. Um, uh well, I mean, <laughs> this is uncut, by the way. One of the great things about these podlets, they're completely uncut. So when Calvin says he hasn't got a clue, I just have to go, yeah, great, excellent. Really it's probably good. the first time I've ever said I don't know, I don't know somebody. Like, yeah, that we've quite possibly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, you'd expect him to come through that with uh, relative ease. And then he could face Dan Evans. I mean, I wonder what you think about, about Evo against City Pass if we get that far. Quite an interesting little matchup, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's not a great matchup for Evo, to be fair. It's it's kind of similar to Massetti today. I thought the City Pass had beat Massetti today because 
I thought they play quite similar and mm. City Pass is a little bit better. And yeah. might happen the same thing with, with Dan Evans. Mm. Just doesn't quite have the weapons. Um, that was, of course, the last match uh, on Chatrier today. The first match saw Elise Corne beat Masaki Doi in a match that I branded pointless. Um, not pointless in a tennis match, but pointless putting it on Chatrier. Uh, someone said to me, but she's French. But there was no one there. Even the French didn't turn up to watch Cornet beat Doi. Uh, but they absolutely did turn up for the next match. Um, anyone who has seen my video diary will see how excited I got about it. Uh, Joe Wilfred Songa playing his last match as a professional against Kasper Ruud. There was a we dreamed a dream with Joe Wilfred Songa today. He won the first set, he lost the next two, and he then led six five as I mentioned. Um, Calvin, I've already spoken in in the video diary that people have already heard about the specifics of this match, but the specifics of Joe Wilfred Songa's career. The headline in Figaro this morning was. Roland Garros is the story of my life. This match felt like the story of his life. Yeah, playing great tennis, nearly getting there and then getting injured. Right? <laughs> that, would, that would sum up, yeah, sum up Songa's career, wouldn't it? Yeah, it is. I Mike Dixon in the Mail pointed out when, um, basically, you know, Songa's part of this golden generation of French players, and a load of them came on afterwards to sort of congratulate him and say a few words. And he described them, I think, as a succession of players kept under the thumb by the big three and the big four at various points. I mean, that's probably not far from the truth, is it? Uh, all right, some of them, there are more than four players better than them in the world. But were it not one of the great generations, France would have had seven or eight grand slams in the last 15 years, wouldn't they? Uh, you can say that, but you can also say that, that about French at any stage during the last 40 years. <laughs> and they, they have won. Yeah. Total. So, um, so, so a song is a bit, a bit different from all the others actually, because his his Achilles heel was Andy Murray. Yeah, Andy Murray just just seemed to keep knocking him out. I mean, I mean, geez, I must have seen Andy Murray play at Wimbledon about nine times. Like, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. They've played each other every year, and Songa would always seem to be like two sets to one up. Yeah. And, and and Murray would find a way of beating him. But uh, uh, their head-to-head, yeah. incidentally, they've played sixteen times in their career between two thousand and seven and two thousand sixteen. Murray won fourteen of them. Uh, Songa only beat him twice: once in Australia when Murray was basically a kid, and then once in Canada. Um, it, <laughs> you know what? I I always say at the end of people's career, it's a good time to sum up careers and say, you know, j- judge it. How how would you judge Joe Wilford Songa's career? In your head, is there still a lot of what might have been? Or did he get everything he could have gotten out of his career? I think tennis is one of those sports where you always reach your potential. Like, you know, there's, there's not many players who didn't do it. that They generally had some sort of weakness or their bodies. Like, you know, we look at Del Potro and I love Del Potro. But you could have said Del Potro should have had nine slams or six slams or whatever, but... Playing the way he did, his body was never going to allow him mm. to do what he did. And Songa, I think, kind of the same. He was he was a brilliant player to watch. Like I say, I've seen him live on a few times. I've actually seen Andy Murray play him twice at the O2 as well, I think. Mm. Um, I think 85% of the matches I've ever seen Andy Murray play have been against Joe Wood and Songa. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, he, he was a phenomenal player to watch. He was a great athlete. He looked, he kind of looked like a power forward NBA player mm. at times. But at the same time, you thought you always thought that body, that physique, is too big to mm. play for the physical demands that tennis puts on it. 
and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't shredded. He wasn't, and he never has been. He's got what I call the Stan Wawrinka body type. Yeah. You know, the little bit of dad bod, you know, a bit more body fat than maybe you'd want. And, uh, I mean, you know, they say fat weighs less than muscle, so maybe it was a tactical choice. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you yeah. always wondered if, if he dropped a stone and you're not taking a bit more off off all your joints and making life a little bit easier for yourself. I, th- I think Stan, Stan and... Joe Wilfred are kind of similar, though, in a way, although Stan has three slams. They're kind of a throwback to when we hear about this sort of tennis lifestyle that the players led in the late 70s, early 80s. From what I know about Stan and Joe Wilfred, they enjoyed being on tour. Mm. And you're fair play to them. Look, yeah. you, you know, it's like I, we don't have enough, you know, we're sort of speaking now at a time when there's pictures of Jack Grealish pretty much boozing everywhere in Europe. <laughs> and and it is it, the same, you know, it's kind of a throwback, isn't it? We don't, I guess we don't have their characters. Yeah. Um, and fair play, as you say, who who's to criticise it? You know, Joe Wafatonga has made $22 million in his career from tennis alone. Uh, he made a Grand Slam final. He made four Grand Slam semifinals, or, or five, I suppose, if you include the one that got him to the final in Australia. You know, he, he's done a lot with his life. Yes, and something about Joe Wilfred Songer as well that I don't know if a lot of our listeners will know. He's he's always played French league tennis as well. He's never not played. And yeah, a lot of the French players tend to play it, but every year I tend to keep my eye on it, who's winning the French league, that kind of thing. And and Joe Wilfred Songer would be playing every year that he was fit. He'd mm. finish the season and then go straight into French league. Mm. Um, and he also, and French listeners will remember this, but many of ours won't, um, he also won the Davis Cup with France in 2017 when they beat Belgium in a football stadium, uh, which I still remember watching bits of it. Um, and Songa, I think he beat Darcy, we lost to Goffin, and then Lucas Puy won the final match to, to seal it. And I still remember that and thinking, he's a stadium player. He's someone, and, and it felt like a football stadium today. It really did, with, with the noise that was involved. Um, I mean, the air completely went out of it when his shoulder went. It was genuinely one of the saddest things I've seen on a tennis court was just him standing on the baseline, throwing the ball up, and it was old man serving. It really was just just rolling it into the box. Um, It was a great shame. I would say he'll be sadly missed. He won't be because he's not really played a lot or figured a huge amount, but I know that a lot of British people love watching Joe Wilford Songa, and the, the casual fan on the street I reckon if you ask them to name 10 tennis players just off the top of their head, Tsonga would still appear as one of them because he's a guy that people remember remember watching for, for his excitement and his style. Yeah, so um, he's, had, he's had big matches at Wimbledon, hasn't he? That's yeah. the thing. He's had, he's had big, dramatic matches. And, and I'm joking there, but he seems to... He, he always seems to have been playing at like 6 o'clock on a Thursday night against Andy Murray into yeah. a fourth set. And <laughs> what people remember in Britain... Yeah, yeah, very much so. Whatever was on just after dinner, really, when you're all still awake. Um, it, it was nice that that was a competitive match because there actually weren't a huge number of them on the show courts today. Paola Badosa is into the second round. She battered Fiona Ferris 6-2-6, love. Um, similarly, Daniil Medvedev. I mean, Facundo Bagnis, God bless him, he turned up, but he was as injured as I've ever seen a man at the beginning of a match. I was pretty blown away that he was still playing, actually, and, and Medvedev didn't need much excuse to put him away. Um, uh, it was good to see this morning, though, that a couple of Brits in action, well, one at least, Neil Skupski, him and Wes Kulhoff are the number six seeds in the men's doubles, but they are the leading pair in the world this year. 
Uh, they came through Botic van der Zand, Schulp, uh, and, his, and the all-Dutch pairing. Uh, but obviously, Neil has a Dutchman in his corner as well. Um, Calvin, Neil, I think I'm right in saying Neil's never won a Grand Slam. He's certainly no. never, never even been in the top 10. If he wins a Grand Slam, he will now be in the top 10. I mean, how, how good a chance have these lads got? They, they seem to be beating all comers when they want to. Yeah, they're, they're the most informed doubles pair in the world. Mm. So they've definitely got a chance. Um, mm. I think one of the who's gone out today, or the two Colombian lads have gone out today, were probably historically the best clay court doubles team in the world. So, mm. um, yeah, I'd, I'd give them as good a chance as anybody. Yeah, thanks to Bunuel Pair and Alba Ramos Vinolas for pulling off a pretty unlikely victory over Farah and Cabal, who, as you say, have won plenty over the last couple of years. So, um, decent that. It brings me nicely on to Bunuel Pair, who. I mean, look, Benoit Pair is a natural-born entertainer. Uh, he was his name was being shouted constantly during Emiratikani's match on Tuesday, on uh, Monday, as it was, because he was on next, and they wanted her to get on with it. She apologised to them afterwards for making the match so long. Uh, he, his net, his game ran over. He was playing today. He lost to Ilya Ivashka, which, I mean, in terms of entertaining matchups, that might might be one of the highest I can really think of. Uh, he didn't have a press conference scheduled because he lost, and they don't. I, I didn't know this, but they, I think no one had requested him, so he didn't have to do one. Uh, but, but he said, "I told them I wanted one. I didn't have a press conference, but I asked for one." And he walked in, and the moderator now, because the questions start with the moderator these days, said, "Can you tell me what happened during the fourth set?" And he said, "You know, tennis is not that easy. Beginning of my season was not that easy. I knew I was not going to play up to par." I would like to talk about Wimbledon, however. I want to know if ATP defends more players or Russia. This is why I wanted to talk to you guys. We're going to play a tournament without any points. When some people had COVID, we did say, oh, we should cancel the tournament altogether. But then we have three or four Russian players, including Medvedev, and we're rallying against Wimbledon. I think it's a pity because if we were listen to all the players, the players do not understand this decision. 99% of the players, they want to have points and play the tournament as it was before. So I want to know... If ATP want to defend players or Russia, and then there's just sort of a beat as everyone goes, oh, <laughs> I mean, and he got asked a couple more questions about it. And then someone said, you don't want to talk about the match, <laughs> which I just find like, A, read the room and B, usually it's the complete other way around in these press conferences. Usually, you know, they get asked questions about stuff they don't want to talk about and they go, oh, can someone please ask me about the match I played today? Um the answer to you don't want to talk about the match was I had no press conference I had to ask for it so I'm willing to do so but since I lost I was told I couldn't have a press conference and I wanted to talk about Wimbledon so that's why I've come in um I mean credit where credit's due Calvin I know Benoit Pair doesn't really give a toss about anything but you know he's come out and spoken his mind and it, it you know a lot of players have followed suit today yeah it tends to, it looks like it's the mood doesn't it there doesn't look to be a single player scene I think Matt Petchy said today that 99% of players um are saying that they they wanted ranking points at Wimbledon. I'd say it's hundred percent. I don't mm. know who's who's not saying it. I've not seen one player come out and say I think it's the right decision. I, th yeah. I think one hundred percent of them will be thinking that. Apart from the Russian players, and I just find it amazing that we're sat here now and the only ones who are sitting pretty are the Russians. They're <laughs> thinking, fair enough. If we can't play it, no one else takes over us. And Medvedev, I think Medvedev might have said something, might have commented on it. I think I saw earlier. He was certainly asked about it, and and he, I mean, I was in that press conference, and he was sort of he sort of shifted a little uncomfortably, which is pretty rare 
you know, Medvedev's a pretty cool character in press conferences these days because he's too busy being a weirdo. Um, and he uh, he said, oh, I really want to focus on Roland Garros because a lot has been said about Wimbledon. But, you know, the ATP decision, not easy to comment. And then he said, and I never thought I'd hear this come, phrase come out of Daniel Medvedev's mouth. He said, but when I read the FAQs, <laughs> which I just thought, the idea of Daniel Medvedev seeing this statement and being like, oh, can we just check the, the Q&A segment? I've got a few... And, 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 and just comment on that. I found that when, when I read it the first time, the FAQs, because they released a statement and then then straight underneath the statement was FAQs. And I was like, how come these questions have been frequently asked? You've literally, <laughs> literally only just released the statement. So, yeah, so... that's a very valid point. And I thought something similar. Uh, but he basically said that he could see the logic behind the ATP decision because they'd explained it. And he couldn't with the Wimbledon decision. He said, I'm not saying which decision is right. But at least so far as in explaining their decisions, I just found the ATP more logical more logical and consecutive. Um, I mean, he was then asked, you know, you're going to stay number one. Uh, isn't that a bit odd? He's like, yeah, very strange. I need to be honest. I love playing on grass. I will still play on grass. Uh, but there are no points. I become number one. Well, great for me. If there are points, I can't become number one. I'm going to be gutted. So it is what it is. I cannot change some decisions. So, I mean... <sighs> The thing is with players, Calvin, and you obviously know a lot of them, and I'm getting to know some of them, is they're A, quite short-termist, and B, very tunnel-visioned. And the reality is that the majority of them don't like the decision because it negatively affects the majority of them, right? Is that not the case? Yeah, I think that's the point. that, that I think tennis, the tennis ranking system, although it's the same for everybody, it affects different people differently. Mm. And I saw some people justifying it Earlier on, I saw, saw Joe Jury, I think, and and somebody else might be might be getting that wrong. It might not be Joe Jury, I think it was, but a few other people had said, "People uh, winning Wimbledon is still winning Wimbledon, ranking points or not." But that's fair enough for Djokovic and that kind of player. But what about the players who know they're not winning Wimbledon? But I tell you what, third round ranking points would be a huge boost for them, hmm. and and that kind of thing. And I think that that's what we've kind of forgotten. Yeah, I'd, I'd still be surprised if Djokovic doesn't play it. If, if, if the prize money is the same as it was, I still think most of the players who've got a chance of winning it will play it. Hmm. I still think most of the players who are scraping first round will, will play it because it's 52 grand or whatever it is that yeah. they're not picking up elsewhere. The ones who I think might not play it are the ones who'd probably be making sort of last 16 and they'll look at it and think, realistically, I'm not getting past that. Hmm. I think that they're the ones because they're, they're all right for money. They've got enough money. They probably don't like played on grass. It's not cheap in London. They get taxed through the nose and they might think, I tell you what, I'm just going to go to America. Hmm. Yeah, and there are options, you know, if the hard court swing obviously starts straight after Wimbledon pretty much. And I'm sure, I mean, the first week of Wimbledon, obviously there are no tournaments, but second week there are, right? Um, yeah, there will be. Although I don't know if there's main tour, but there'll be challenges for yeah. sure. There'll be challenges the first week, I would think. <laughs> there's a, there's always challengers. I feel like that yeah. well, should be tattooed somewhere. There's always a challenger. Um, yeah. yeah, I was just thinking about that week in Wimbledon and seeing if I could see exactly what's going on, but I can't quite. Oh, you know what? What will there'll definitely be a weird clay court tournament somewhere. There'll definitely be a weird yeah. clay court tournament somewhere. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see which of them. Um, the only one so far is Naomi Osaka, as mentioned. Uh, today, a few of them said, I haven't made up my mind. I thought it was really interesting what Denis Shapovalov said. Um, he said, well, he said lots of things. Partly, I don't know what I'm doing yet. He lost today to Holger Rune. Um, 
but he also said, oh, I felt a lot of pressure coming in here because I knew my quarter-final points were coming off at Wimbledon and I couldn't earn them back. And I can't think if he was really defending any French Open points. I imagine he wasn't because he's barely won a match at French Open, either first or second round. So he will have looked at it and gone, I've really got to get some points here. Otherwise, I'm basically not going to make a, a move in the rankings until the US Open. And, you know, he is someone who really could find himself having now gone out in the first round of the French Open. I mean, he could drop like a stone. Him and Matteo Berrettini, basically, are yeah. going to fly down the rankings. Um, I mean, he's already down to number 15 just on the live rankings. If you take off quarterfinal points, that'll take him down probably outside the top 20. And it just, you know, your draw gets harder. It, it spirals, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's not just for Wimbledon. It's it's how it affects everything else. Mm. It affects the players who... The players who are really going to benefit from this is the players who had good years last year and didn't do well at Wimbledon. Yeah. Because they're the ones who they're, they're going to stay and everyone else is going to drop. Mm. Um, they're, they're the ones. So I, I saw Shapovalov said something about 50% points. I don't get any logic in that, to be honest. You've got to... I think, you know, that, that's a kind of halfway house that wouldn't make any sense. Mm. Then you're just playing basically like a master series or something points and i i still i know from what i'm hearing from a few players and camps and that kind of thing this is still not a closed book yet i don't think that they're still no. they're still moving parts on this um whether so, it will change i don't know but certainly i i had a couple of conversations today with some pretty well-placed atp sources um who were yeah very much i i basically said is this you know is this a done deal? You know, Brexit is not a done deal. Um, and he said, well, they both said, to be honest, no, by no means. Like, we, we want to, because they want to leave it open because they want to leave it possible for Wimbledon to turn around and say, actually, we'll let them in. So in that sense, they're kind of saying, no, it's not a done deal. And, you know, things can change. I think what's crucial is what the players do in the next week or two. Because, they, as you say, Calvin, they're all pretty much against this. They all think it's nonsense. So what they need to do is gather together and say, you know, if only they had some sort of representative body who could stand up and make a statement on behalf of them. Like, I'm sort of joking, but I'm also not. Like, this is yeah. why unions exist. And if I yeah. was running, like, the, the PTPA, for which people, if people who don't know, it's a union set up by Djokovic and Pospisil and a few other people, uh, a few years ago, they've got they claim to have over 350 members, and bearing in mind, just to be a voting member, you've got to be either top 350 singles or top 150 doubles. So you know that's a pretty high percentage of the people involved in tennis across the two tours, all of whom, as far as we can tell, are fuming at this rankings decision. Four days have passed now since it came out, and the, the PTPA have said absolutely nothing. Now they technically have no power on tour because they're not a recognised union, they're a disruptive union. Um, but if you want to be a disruptive union and a force for change, like, you have to really, you know, jump on the second serve when it's break point. And in terms of opportunities for, a, like, a union, that is what this is. Yeah. The governing body has made a decision and your entire membership is up in arms in it about it. Look, they may be doing things behind the scenes, but that's, like, that's not where big progress is made, I'm afraid. No, it, yeah, they've been rubbish, haven't they? I mean, even Djokovic. Djokovic's statement yesterday, funniest thing was Djokovic's statement when he was, I don't know if it was a statement or whether he was talking about in a press conference. And for two-thirds of it, I thought, okay, 
Djokovic started talking sense here. He's seeming like the politician that he wants to be. And then he said, then he said something like, there are other options than than taking the Russian players out. He said, I, I've seen documentation where other options were was offered. And I was like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. And then he went on this ramble about Russian and Ukrainian players playing mixed doubles together. Yeah, I mean, that was like potentially the most tin-eared thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Like, because also he, I think that was the same day as um, Lesia Tsurenko, who was beaten in the first round by Yashontek. And she pretty much had the whole press room in tears by giving this testimony of how hard her life had been. And she, she wanted to go home and she couldn't and she didn't know where she was going to live anymore, um, either outside the Ukraine or back in Ukraine. Um, and, you know, you combine that with Marta Kostyuk, you know, talking about the sheer anger um, of, of playing, of the prospect of playing as Russian players. Uh, Tsarenka herself said she doesn't feel good, the idea of playing against Russian or Belarusian players. She wouldn't want to do it. Um, and she's just going to have to cross that bridge when she comes to it. The idea of them playing mixed doubles yeah. as some sort of, you know, match for peace. Just, uh, yeah. I, I will say, on the, you know, if they're hoping, that, if the ATP are hoping that Wimbledon is going to change their mind. I think there's more chance of Wimbledon allowing players to play in black shirts this year. <laughs> that there is. A, for, Wimbledon are. I'm trying to think of the best way of saying it. They're they're not. They don't have their finger on the pulse of what people are thinking. That yeah. decision was clearly made in some oak room in the grounds where they thought this will send a statement, and they didn't read the room initially. I don't think or enough. And I don't think that I wouldn't be surprised if they, if the people who make the decisions at Wimbledon, are even aware of the discussions that are going on. They're quite removed from the reality of of the world. Hmm. I mean, it is an entire place that is quite removed from reality. Let's, yeah, let's be totally honest about it. Um, look, this story is going to go on and on. We're going to record a full length pod tomorrow night with George as well, who will have more about that, as much about it as we do, and and more because he's a very well connected man with lots of ears to the ground so and things will have evolved because that's how fast this is moving um tomorrow we have uh, angelique kerber opening up on chatrier against elsa giacomo who is not sponsored by the clothing brand that really is her name um she knocked out heather watson uh, but i suspect angelique kerber will make short work of her alexander zverev against sebastian byers absolute belter coming up third on chatrier belinda bencic against bianca andrescu I mean, Calvin, that, you know, four year, three years ago, that's a real, real big match. I think the way Andrescu's recovered is still a big match, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting storyline, actually. She looks like she means business. This is the best Andrescu. I've seen her. Yeah, Andrescu. She looks like she means business. And this is the best I've seen her since, since she won the US Open. Mm. Um, and I think she's a serious player in the draw if, if, if she gets enough matches in. I don't know. Would she, was she in the same half as Shrontek? No, she's in the bottom half as well. Right. So. Um, if she make, if she can make the final, that's that's Shrontek's biggest challenge, I think, in the whole draw. Hmm. I mean, Clay's not traditionally her best surface, right? I mean, I think she's almost never played on it, really. Yeah, but she would be. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't suit her. She's got great hands, great hmm. skills, drop shots, that kind of thing, plays the angles. They're the type of player who, who Clay would suit. I don't think that would be a problem. And she looks... Hmm. I'm, I'm, she's literally on my screen as we're recording this now, and she she looks focused. She, mm. She's looking good. If, if she stays fit and she gets the matches, she's a 
she's a big player in this draw. Bit of talk as well about how she's added a bit of muscle mass um, over, you know, so she's got a slightly different body type now. I don't know whether that's just she's she's a bit older. You know, she she was very young when yeah. she won the US Open and there was obviously still physical developing to do. But um, yeah, hopefully that might counter some of the injury problems. You know, we talked about Joe Wilfred Songer and his body type and injury problems. So who knows? Yeah, I, th- I think the thing with Andrescu, though, is I, I, when I was in the bubble at Wimbledon last year, I sort of not spent time around research but she was i was sat near her on the bus a few times and sat sat near her over dinner and that kind of thing and she looked like she was kind of a bit spaced out and not didn't care but just content with not winning enough matches and it's just something that struck me and now it she looked completely different she looks back to what she was like at us open 2019 correct um, yeah. Exciting stuff. Maybe that's a good moment to uh, stop. Also, because I'm I just, just can I nip in there? I just of want course. to mention quickly like these night sessions are not really working, are they? They're <laughs> too late and they need to. It's also, I was thinking, you really want to be playing at night in the middle of May in Northern Europe? It's, it's not warm out there. No, and there are no crowds there after about yeah. 10 o'clock. I don't understand why they're starting at 8.45 and I don't understand yeah. why Chatrier starts at 12. When every yeah. other court in Paris starts at eleven. Yeah, they're gonna to have to sort the schedule out next year. This is not this is not gonna work. No. Um just like me chucking a whole glass of beer over the rented desk in my Airbnb isn't gonna work. I've ma- you know what, I've managed to put it like that's where my passport is, that's where my Eurostar ticket home is, it's where all my receipts for expenses are. Couldn't have done this any worse, really. Um anyway, we'll see you tomorrow. Things can only get better. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.